Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, our business editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence. It's a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. Intelligence looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. The 2023 Volume 4 is available now. The annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing, which we just had on the 16th, and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com slash intelligence. So, John, there were uh, several deals and transactions announced this week. Yeah, Leslie, we're, you know, the industry, I think, is off to a pretty good start. Um, some uh, significant deals uh, were announced and that we, we covered. Uh, let me just touch on a couple of them here. Um, one big deal is that BlackRock, the um, you know the big investor, um, uh, private equity investor, had a, has acquired uh, Global Infrastructure Partners, which is an independent infrastructure fund manager. Um, the, the deal is um, BlackRock will uh, pay uh, about twelve and a half billion for uh, Global Infrastructure Partners. That you know comprises about three billion in cash and about 12 million of BlackRock's common stock, which uh, last I checked was running about $790 a share. So uh, pretty big deal. Uh, it's, it's the deal is expected to close around the third quarter of this year. Um, but you know, the, the, the thing that makes it significant is that the combined companies represent about $150 billion in assets under management. And, uh, it gives them pretty deep firepower to l- make other investments in digital infrastructure worldwide. Um, today, uh, Global Infrastructure Partners manages about $100 billion of that total, uh, and it focuses on several sectors, uh, energy, transport, wa- water and waste, and digital. Uh, a couple of notable investments that the company has made is it owns a 49% stake in Cyrus One, which is a data center company with uh, 50, f- 50 facilities across the US, Europe, and Asia. And it bought a 30% stake at Vantage Towers, the uh, European tower company that operates uh, over 82,000 sites across 10 countries in Europe. Um, on the other side, BlackRock. Uh, has over $50 billion in infrastructure uh, client assets under management. And it, its most notable deal, at least one that we covered last year, was that it formed a joint venture uh, with AT&T. Uh, uh, the joint venture was dubbed Gigapower. And really, it, the intent is that the uh, Gigapower will deploy uh, multi-gig fiber to the home or fiber to the premise network to roughly 1.5 million customer locations, which are outside of AT&T's traditional 21-state wireline service footprint. So AT&T is doing its own fiber to the premise within that 21-state area, and Gigapower uh, will will look at extending that outside of AT&T's 
um, uh, footprint. Another deal that uh, w was uh, fairly significant is that Vodafone, the, the big mobile network operator based in the UK, has signed uh, uh, or announced a 10-year strategic partnership with Microsoft, uh, basically to, um, to leverage their respective strengths and scale the digital platform to over 300 million businesses and public sector organizations and consumers across Europe and Africa. Uh, Vodafone will invest about $1.5 billion over the next 10 years in cloud and customer-focused AI services uh, developed together with Microsoft. And at the same time, Microsoft will use Vodafone's fixed and mobile connectivity um, services. Um, you know, Microsoft also intends to take advantage of Vodafone's managed IoT connectivity platform, and that's going to be spun off as a separate business sometime, uh, the company's indicated, in April of 2024. Um, but the partnership really is designed to, one, uh, move um, a Vodafone away from owning its own data center, owning and operating its own data centers, and, and using Microsoft Azure uh, to uh, transfer a lot of those IT functions to the cloud. Um, the other thing that the Vodafone uh, has it working in its favor is that it operates a very extensive financial tech technology platform or fintech platform in Africa uh, that serves um, uh, over 100 million consumers and a million small businesses across Africa. And um, this partnership with Microsoft will, will help expand that. So, um, you know, uh, let's see. Another deal that we announced was uh, uh, in, the, in the data center space, a um, company called 1547 Critical Systems Realty uh, ha owns a 100-acre property in um, rural Pennsylvania and is planning to deploy uh, or at least make available that sp space with uh, available power to uh, hyperscale uh, data center developers. And why this is significant, Leslie, is that, you know, we've seen the concentration of data center uh, hubs in New York, um, Northern Virginia, Chicago, Atlanta, the West Coast, where there's a growing scarcity of, of land and, and a power to run these big data centers. So this is um, uh, an example of uh, a, a smaller company um, in, in developing uh, land and power for large data center operators to locate outside of these major centers and, um, and continue to expand their capabilities. But um, you know, taking advantage of tax incentives in these uh, in these um, uh, uh, less populated areas, um, and uh, also to have availability availability of of large scale power that includes renewable power like solar. This particular development, they're they're looking at um, green energy solutions that would take advantage of rooftop solar. Um, power generation of uh, that that they claim is scalable up to about 25 megawatts and that you know that's about that would account for a large percentage of the total power that would be required for a, a large scale site like this so um you know uh, lots going on right now we're trying to you know 
pick up on on new developments and and um, and provide coverage on those. But you can see it's all kind of interrelated. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when a company makes a deal, uh, their focus is on uh, digital infrastructure. The digital infrastructure companies like uh, 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 1547 are, are looking to play in a bigger way um, by taking advantage of available funding and available resources to uh, to expand the, um, um, uh, the the digital infrastructure space and ecosystem. What we are watching going forward, and we will be touching on this in, in an upcoming issue of Intelligence, is the impact of AI on uh, the digital infrastructure ecosystem, and not only data centers but uh, fiber, um, uh, the cell network, uh, cellular network, and and edge infrastructure. So uh, we'll report more on that as as we uh, complete that analysis. But um, um, you know we're we're at the threshold of 2024, and I think there's um, there's a lot that's already going on, and and more to come. And that AI, how it affects telecom, should be interesting too. Um, yeah, I, you know, yeah. it's it's we're we're obviously seeing you know planning and expectations that it's going to be big, meaning it'll drive data volumes uh, uh, at some multiple over what we are experiencing today. Today, which is already escalating, you know, mobile data is doubling every two to three years, and so uh, I call AI as the um, the afterburner <laughs> yeah. on the uh, on the on the mobile data um, and, and data transport business in general, and that it'll it'll multiply it uh, even further. Exactly how that'll impact, what form it'll take, uh, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns. But I think the uh, what is at least understood is that it's uh, it's going to be a, a, a big driver for. Uh, capacity requirements uh, across all types of digital infrastructure over the next several years, for sure. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So one of the big things uh, is Congress finally held off another shutdown. Um, they passed a, a short-term spending bill Thursday night. Uh, the And one of the... Re reasons they were quick about it was they were trying to get out of D.C. ahead of a storm that hit. Um, the government funding was set to expire on Friday. The uh, the Senate passed a continuing resolution Thursday afternoon that would keep the government open on another two deadline track through March 1 and March 8th. The FCC and NTIA deadlines are the March 8th deadline. And then the House voted, um, and the bill was sent to the White House for the president's signature. So we'll go through all this again in March. And the other thing, there was an interesting hearing Wednesday. Uh, uh, it was on ORAN, rip and replace, and just the supply chain in, in general. Um, Actually, Republicans and Democrats both agreed during the House subcommittee hearing that securing America's communications networks is vital, and they're hoping ORAN can lower the barriers to entry for hardware and software suppliers to expand the supply chain and ensure vendors can provide trusted network equipment. Doris Matsui, Democrat from California, she's the ranking member of the House Communications and Technology Subcommittee, 
Um, and she said the U.S. has been experiencing supply chain shortages and shifting geopolitics at the same time as NTIA is trying to get bead money out the door. Of course, you know, the bead money is really coming later this year and into 2025. And she said, rather than funding limited builds that are likely to have minimal impact, we're looking for new open market solutions. She said the country needs a true multi-vendor solutions. We want to be free from untrusted suppliers like Huawei. And Kathy McMorris Rogers, Republican of Washington State, who is the chair of the Full House Energy and Commerce Committee, said, you know, America's ability to win the future requires strong communication networks. 5G is already making networks faster. 6G is still being developed, but promises to do more. We need to ensure networks are safe and secure. Um, and she said, you know, uh, it's important that ORAN will increase competition in the vendor marketplace and bring lower costs to consumers. She said, we need technology that is less expensive. So operators are no longer forced to rely on a single vendor. A vendor did speak, um, Mavenir, the SVP ecosystem of business development, John Baker told lawmakers his company is a trusted vendor to more than 250 mobile operators worldwide. And that includes DISH, the DISH ORAN technology. He called ORAN a proven solution, an open process to prevent what he called vendor lock in 5G and beyond. Uh, EchoStar spoke too. Their lobbyist, Jeff Bloom, said DISH is the first company to deploy a cloud-native ORAN system. He said ORAN helped us to build a new wireless system from the ground up and leapfrog over opponents. Mm -hmm. And he said most companies are using end-to-end -end gear from one vendor, which is a closed system. We constructed a modern software-based ORAN network. So the uh, executive director of the Open RAN Policy Coalition, Diane Rinaldo, was tying some ends together. And she said, you know, overall, the expense gap hasn't been closed yet for operators. And that's why smaller operators chose Huawei and ZTE, um, which later the U.S. said were untrusted gear, and they're trying to get them to rip and replace that out. Um, she said uh, she and Baker and Bloom urge lawmakers to provide more money for NTIA's Wireless Innovation Fund. You know, she said of the $1.5 billion allocated, only 6% have been distributed. And she said for the money to be impactful, it needs to go out in the next couple of years. If we let the money go for the next 10 years, this is a 7G conversation. We don't want that. Uh, Concerning rip and replace, Baker said it's like for like, so they're actually having to replace 4G equipment instead of 5G. And he said the language uh, for what you can do to be reimbursed for should be changed to 5G. Ronaldo uh, emphasized the need to fully fund rip and replace, you know, to make up the $3 billion shortfall. She said, we need to get it done. If we can't get the money, let's move forward with a plan B. And of course, you know, nobody knows what plan B is going to be next.
So, you know, Leslie, this all ties into an article we did last week called The Trouble with Oran. Mm. Look, I'm I'm an engineer by education and training and experience, yeah. and, and I've helped build networks and design products. And ORAN is absolutely the way to go. But, and then the caveat is <clears throat> the approach they're taking by sort of bashing this closed proprietary system mm-hmm. approach, mm-hmm. which, you know, if, if you know how the big carriers buy products, they go through a long, drawn-out vetting process for all their vendors. It takes could take years, you know. But the, the thing, and they had developed what they call their approved vendor list. Uh, it could take a long time to get on those approved vendor lists. And by the way, you want the big carriers to endorse Open RAN, um, give it that vote of confidence, uh, so they move forward. But you know. The open RAN ecosystem involves what they the the proponents like to call commercial off the shelf products, radios, plug and servers, play. and the like. Yeah. Um, well, the problem is the big mobile network operators don't buy off the shelf products. They buy stuff to their specifications, and they work closely with their vendors to make sure they get what they want for their networks. Uh, obviously, that's got to change, and I think open uh, the uh, AT&T uh, nod to Ericsson uh, at the end of the year to um, a five-year deal, $14 billion, that Ericsson would deploy open RAN architecture in AT&T's network mm-hmm. is sort of leaning that way. But the, uh, the open RAN proponents would say, well, it's still closed because you're only relying on one vendor. I think Ericsson is going to bring in a lot of little guys to help with that deployment. But the point is, you know, the, by beating on this notion that, you know, we're locked in, uh, uh, the carriers are locked in to one or a couple of big vendors, uh, you know, I think does not acknowledge the way the carriers actually specify product and buy product for their networks. The other big issue is, it's fine to say, you know, you can use off-the-shelf products from a variety of vendors and they'll all interwork together. Um, the, the problem is uh, nobody has overall systems integration responsibility. DISH's case is the exception. DISH took it upon themselves to become their own systems integrator because no one else was in a position to do that. Yeah. They have the talent, they have the, the motivation, they had the financing to go ahead and do that, and they pulled it off. I consider that uh, the dish story an outlier mm. that um, other open RAN deployments with with other carriers, uh, somebody's going to have to kind of step up and take the point because um, a company like Mavenir, as good as it is, only is responsible for a piece of that total network. And they're certainly not in a position. They don't have the, the scale or the, the capability to run, you know, an end to end network development and deployment. So there's a few growing pains that I think the industry's got to go through. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly positive on the open RAN trajectory and that it is uh, a long-term solution for where we need to go mm-hmm. uh, in terms of designing and building and operating networks. But there, there's these uh, short-term issues that we're going to have to address and, uh, um, uh, and the vendors themselves, I think, are going to have to be less competitive and more cooperative because uh, uh, 
to do it at scale, like, you know, Mavenir's point about the 200 and some networks, a lot of those are small networks or um, either that are new or established networks that are using open RAN in a little piece of their network, either on the mm -hmm. edge or in an extension, or, you know, it's not a full scale ORAN deployment in all of these networks. For the points I mentioned, you know, the, the way they buy, the carriers buy, and also the fact that you need somebody to step up and tie it all together. So um, it, it'll be interesting. I think this hearing was an important um, juncture in, in terms of the discussion and the raising the awareness and getting support to move forward. Um, but um, just know that uh, it's not going to happen overnight. <laughs> <laughs> they Well, and... Um... You mentioned tying all the pieces together. They did mention there needs to be equipment certification. Exactly. They didn't say who would be doing it, but they said in order to get more buy-in, people need to be confident that that the equipment is going to at least right. be held to a certain standard. Um, and they also said, of course, Mavenir was saying, well, you know, the big, the other telecoms aren't aren't doing. We need to get the other carriers to do open RAN. So, yeah, there's a big leap from what's being done now to what has to happen, as you're saying, um, for it to be more in the mainstream. And yeah. Yeah. Ronaldo said, you know, there there needs to be more hearings to get more awareness. Um, yeah. Yes, <clears throat> I, I think that sort of underscores the need to to. Um, do it in a systematic and orderly fashion with, yeah. you know, uh, government support, with, with industry support, um, with uh, technical standards, um, you know, being defined and agreed upon. Uh, we do have the ORAN Alliance that is uh, pushing for uh, some kind of uh, performance standards. We have the Telecom Infra Project, which is doing something similar. So there are standards bodies, there are uh, overseeing organizations that are of which a lot of these manufacturers and vendors are members and are trying to negotiate and work out, you know, the right way to do it and, and come to some agreement on, you know, defining the standards and how these products should perform and how they should enter work. Well, and hopefully, you know, who, who might take over our responsibility for making them all tie together. But, um, I think this is a good first step. No, I, I, you know, I, I, I know they, they, I could hear a few biases in there, but I, I, I think in the whole scheme of things, it's a good move to, to air it in, in public, air it, you know, at a, a high level uh, in Congress and, um, and try to avoid scenarios like we had with um, having to rip and replace the, the Huawei and ZTE gear. Um, yeah. Someone brought up, um, the Betamax VHS thing. They both worked, <laughs> but they were incompatible. We don't want to go down that road again. Yeah, and that's the risk, too, that you have a lot of vendors. And keep in mind, OpenRAN is a combination of hardware and software. Yeah. Uh, so you could, you know, the idea is you can use commonly or, or commercially available hardware platforms like radios or like uh, servers or other other and then you overlay it with software and a lot of the network is managed in software right and you can make changes in software um you know i i in my article i i said the the carriers treat cell sites and radios as, as cash registers on the network 
right? If you go to a, a Walmart or some where this row of cash registers, right? Mm -hmm. These are the cell sites on a, a telecom network, on a mobile network, right? So they're not going to take a chance on having a product that is does not meet a certain specification and does not perform to a level that they expect. And so they have to be convinced and there has to be a lot of field testing and, and demonstrating that commercial off-the-shelf radios can do the job, mm. either in capacity, reliability is a big issue, you know. We know when a network goes down, guess what happens? Well, customers are out of service, but then the regulators want to take a close look at why that happened, right? Yes. And so you want to mit minimize and mitigate any incidents of that happening that it any of these products are going to have to meet standards, reliability standards and performance standards to not only the, the carrier's requirements, but also that, um, you know, the FCC is uh, uh, satisfied that uh, the networks are going to perform the way the public expects. So, mm. Yeah. So it's not just a, well, we got a cheaper and, and, and novel way to break a proprietary network. No, there's, there's a lot of issues that need to be vetted. And I think this this hearing was a good first step. And hopefully there'll be more and, and we'll get some kind of agreements and resolutions coming out of them. Yeah, it was interesting who was invited to speak. That That is true. You know, yeah. it, the outliers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Dish is, is sort of the poster child here. And, yeah. Uh, but like I said, you know, to me, Dish the dish scenario is a bit of an outlier is a very mm -hmm. big outlier. I wouldn't expect every carrier, of either a startup or, or, or small, smaller regional carrier to be in a position to do what dish did. Right. Uh, right. Uh, I think dish uh, is a great story. It's unique. I, I know some of the people there that have been involved on the, on, you know, on deploying the planning and deploying the network. And uh, you know, they're really talented people and they brought together really, unique team of people uh to do this in a in a relatively short period of time but uh um you know we shouldn't get the idea well this is going to be the norm <laughs> but right. I mean, right yeah yeah so i think that's a wrap uh thank you for listening to inside towers week in review and for a complete rundown of all the week's stories check out our saturday edition Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.